Hi, my name's Andrew Skipper. I'm head of the Africa practice at Hogan Lovells, and I have wide-ranging Africa experience from business to art and culture. I'm co-vice chair of the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art, and I'm co-chair of the UK government's Africa Investors Group. This is the fourth series of the A Perspective podcast, in which I've been having conversations with some of Africa's top business minds and investors, alongside key cultural influences. People are deeply committed to building on the continent and spreading the word and the vision in a diverse way. Uh, They're certainly pulling no punches about the problems, but they're also spotting and delivering on enormous opportunities. So today we're lucky enough to be able to turn to Jacko Marie. Jacko is a renowned and experienced leader in the South African banking sector. Having been CEO of Africa's largest bank, Standard Bank, for 13 years, including building their pan-African business across 20 countries and securing a 20% investment in the bank by the Chinese. After a four-year cooling-off period, he returned as non-exec deputy chairman at Standard Bank Group, and he serves as chairman of the Liberty Group. Crucially, he's also currently supporting South Africa's push for investment as one of President Ramaphosa's investment envoys, in which role Jacko is focused on attracting investment and on the growth and reform of South Africa's economy and how the private sector in particular can play the biggest role in achieving this. Jacko is a well-known and forthright commentator on the South Africa economic context and has continually expressed optimism about the future landscape while remaining committed to delivering truth to power about the real facts and the country's prospects. So welcome, Jacko. It's great to have you on this podcast. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Jacko, um, last time I heard you, actually, it's great hearing from you at the South Africa Chamber of Commerce Gala Dinner and listening to your views on the South Africa economy especially during these challenging COVID times. Um, You were optimistic then, but looking at it with your experience, I think there's really no one better to give an honest assessment of what we can look forward to in Africa now. Perhaps first, given your your background, from your experience, can you put where we are in the historical context? How how bad really is it at the moment? Well, it really is obviously a very, very difficult time. Um, our actuaries at uh, our life insurance business uh, and and also at the bank believe this is a, or has been a one in a hundred year type event. So something very, very out of the ordinary. To see our South African GDP contract by 7.2% in one year is something that, that I certainly have never experienced. Uh, and South Africa is sitting with unemployment at around about 32.5%. And if you use the expanded definition, unemployment at 42%. And we lost last year alone something like 1.5 million jobs. So this is clearly um, a a very, very uh, difficult time. And it's going to require enormous effort to, to dig us out of the hole. Part, part of the hole was dug by ourselves and part of the hole clearly attributable to the crisis. But, and have the last 12 months made you reassess any of your previous assumptions? I mean, you've been doing business in South Africa for, for many years. Have, have you had to reassess any of your previous assumptions about doing business in South Africa or has it simply reinforced your um, original thoughts? Well, if you think that, you know, we're only likely to get back to GDP levels of 2019 in 2023, so there's sort of you know four lost years in a, in a sense. It really paints the picture starkly. Uh, I think the biggest not change, but it re-emphasizes is that 
there's a total reliance on the private sector to to get this done. Um, the government finances are in a parlous state. We've obviously downgraded to junk status uh, earlier last year. Um, but if you look at the, de- the debt-to-GDP ratios, the amount that the country's having to borrow, uh, etc., the government just doesn't have the money to get anything really significant uh, done. And so, therefore, there's a great reliance on private sector money and private sector skills. And it, again, also emphasizes that the only way out of this hole is an investment-led recovery. We have to find ways of investing more, which will then lead to growth uh, and and to jobs. And it's, uh, of course, largely got to be private sector investment or private public partnerships uh, rather than state or state-owned enterprise money. But finally... Uh, you know, it, the, the fact still remains that South Africa still is the most viable gateway uh, into the rest of the mm. continent um, for, for multinationals. And so in that sense, uh, that thesis still remains. Okay, that's, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that, I think. But um, I'm interested about the private sector because the private sector has to drive a lot of growth, but it needs the support of the public sector if it's to be enabled to do that very often. And you've been set some, or sorry, you've said, or you've been set some really challenging targets um, in your advisory capacity for the president um, delivering investment. How realistic is this challenge and uh, for a start and, and how successful are you? Have you been at it? And uh, could you give me a couple of examples of where this has really worked or where you've seen it in terms of that? Yes, we certainly were sent, set some pretty tough targets by the president. In round numbers, 100 billion US dollars of additional investment. And we're talking about fixed investment here, not, not investment in stocks and bonds, but fixed investment over a five-year period. Importantly, it's local and foreign yeah. investment, so it's not just foreign investment. And if we look at the – we've had three investment conferences since uh, this target was announced uh, in November 18, 19, and, and 2020. And, and we're about halfway there, halfway towards our target. The first two conferences, you know, raised almost half of the target. Unsurprisingly, this last conference in, in November 2020, uh, the numbers were, were much, 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 much lower uh, of the order um, of, of, only, uh, of only $10 billion. So we, we're making progress, but, but in some ways I think we've, we've attracted or, or, or reaped the low-hanging fruit, and as time passes, the target becomes yeah. uh, harder and harder to achieve. So that certainly is, is true. But, you know, there have been lots of high-profile examples. Ford has announced a very, very big expansion. South Africa's got, you know, a very sophisticated motor and motor component industry and, and program. PepsiCo... Um, acquired Pioneer Foods, one of our big food companies, is going to use that to expand across the continent. You've seen Microsoft and Amazon Web Services yes. um, committing and building data centers and a lot of activity in, 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 in renewable energy. So, so, so there have been lots of individual successes, but we need to get this at scale to really make the difference. You need an investment to GDP ratio of around about 25%, most economists would argue, and we're sitting at sort of the 16 to 18% level at the moment. 
I mean, but that, I mean, it's not that surprising that the, the initial push should be, have more in it, because as you say, low-hanging fruits. But um, are there any, uh, what are the roadblocks to delivering on your targets? Are these, I mean, how could I put it, are, are these more economic or are they political or are they simply emotionally in the sense that you, you know, do you need to structurally reform the whole, pl- the whole place or simply tell a better story? Well, it's definitely not about telling a story, I don't think. I think investors, in, you know, yeah. people that are making 20-year calls uh, in terms of a, a factory or a plant or whatever uh, are going to see through the stories. It's all about the reality on the ground. Of course, there have been political and philosophical differences within government. You know, the, the, government, mm. the, the large yeah. sections, I think, of the ruling party that believe that we've got to be a developmental state and that the state should play a very big role. The truth of the matter is that if you want to achieve the growth rates that we're now talking about, you have to rely more on the private sector. And that does mean talk to structural reforms in a number of industries, uh, improving the ease of doing business. South Africa used to rank in right about 2009, it ranked something like 34th in the world bank ease of doing business rankings and it went all the way up to 84 uh, a few years ago so we really went backwards as as more red tape and so on was introduced in legislation and we now have to roll that back and, and, and the president has made a commitment to getting South Africa back into the top 50 in those rankings so it's and and to do that you have to clearly remove a lot of blockages make it easier for for for, for companies and and you know make sure that the enabling environment is, is conducive, which in, in many cases, as investment envoys, we found or we find that it's not. Do you feel that the South African nation is pulling to, are working together to deliver on success here? That is the million-dollar question, I suppose. It's like so many other countries around the world, you know, there are very big differences in views. Um, there are just so many different uh, views uh, that exist. So we don't have a, a common purpose as a country, I don't think, which makes it, which makes it tough for, for the president. You know, he sits within, within a party that is, is deeply divided on some of these issues. Um, but, it, but encouragingly, the Economic Reconstruction and Recovery Plan, which was announced in October last year, um, really does uh, come out of negotiations at NEDLAC, which is uh, business, government, labor, and civil society. And that plan has has many, many uh, very important and sensible you know, measures in it. Uh, the issue is now delivering that rather than uh, you know, making more plans. That's very good to hear, actually. And to, looking at from the outside, and when you're talking to internationally, do you find the international markets are becoming more sympathetic to investment in, in South Africa? And what do you think can be done more to encourage them to invest? I mean, China, China. You, know, you know from yeah. your personal experience, is a major trade partner with South Africa. So how do, you see, how do you see the broader position and this relationship in particular developing in the future? Well, and in most, of, most of what we have to do as a country to attract investment uh, is talk to individual companies. I mean, of course, when you're talking to China, you yeah. are talking to the government, and you're talking perhaps to Saudi Arabia, you're talking to to the royal family, uh, who, who might make national decisions as opposed to company-specific decisions. But generally, you know, a UK company deciding to expand in South Africa 
is very co- company specific. You know, what are, what are work prospects like in my industry? In what are the laws like? Uh, what are the tax conditions like in my industry? So, so it tends to be um, very specific. Uh, important thing is that if I look at the stock of foreign investment in South Africa, roughly 78% of that comes out of Europe, of which 40 of the 78 is the UK. So however we think about all of new markets, it's critical, and, and we're blessed that we have so many foreign companies uh, that operate in South Africa because of our, I suppose, colonial and historical past. We have hundreds of foreign companies that are already on the ground here. And it's trying to convince those companies to do more, to grow their businesses and to expand. But much of that effort has to go to companies, call it in the old world, um, as much as we also have to be talking to China and, and Japan and so forth. It, it very much is our you know, historical trading and investment partners that, that we need to be um, appealing to. And, and they understand the country well and, and they are hard-nosed commercial uh, enterprises typically yeah with options so exactly yeah, exactly as to where they as to where as to where they put their money i think a lot of people listening will be in uh, surprised by the level of uh, uk investment actually still given the circumstances but uh, we've been talking around some of the <coughs> some of the issues but i know that you are basically an optimist and i'm very keen to hear the positive narrative for south africa i think i have heard you speak of at least six reasons to be cheerful as they say could maybe just very briefly run through those and i would recommend that everybody gets their pens out just to jot these down when you hear them because it's uh, it's an interesting story i think yes the, these these are some Stats put together by uh, one of our economists um, at Liberty, and they are they are shorter term things, but they give you give you hope that that gives you some time yeah. to to do some of the longer term structural things that I, I talked about uh, earlier. I mean, firstly, Absolutely. global commodity prices are much higher than we saw previously. So we saw a very strong rebound in commodities in in 2020, and particularly in uh, you know gold, platinum, iron ore. Uh, we we saw like a 20. 4% growth in the value of exports last year from South Africa, which was a real windfall. And it looks like commodity prices are going to remain relatively elevated. So despite our challenges with some of our mining legislation and so on, we, we are getting a, a benefit here, even although the, the volumes haven't necessarily gone up, the amount of money coming in has, has gone up. Um, South Africa, as a second point, uh, recorded a record trade surplus, which is counterintuitive, really, uh, in 2020, compared to a tiny surplus uh, in in, tw- in 2019, so this has really you know helped yeah. the, the balance on the current account switch from a, a big deficit to a surplus for the first time in in decades, and and so that's that's something positive. Uh, interest rates are historically low. The Reserve Bank has has reduced the, the repo rate over a period by something like 300 basis points to. Three three and a half percent, which is the lowest that since it was introduced, the lowest I can ever remember, um, and and this has been entirely sensible. Um, and inflation mm. hasn't taken off, so inflation is surprised on the downside. So so that uh, means that the bank can probably reserve and can probably afford to keep rates lower for longer, which I think will help you know consumers and and businesses. Tax collection has improved um, quite dramatically, as well as a fourth point. So so national treasury is now you know, forecasting much higher revenues than, than previously. Maybe they were a bit conservative 
this time a year ago, yep. but you've obviously had the benefit of the mining taxes. And interestingly enough, the, you know, the job losses that I spoke about earlier have, have tended to be in low-income earners, so that hasn't hit the, hit the fiscus um, that significantly, which is, yep. which is slightly counterintuitive. I allude to the fact that we are having to borrow a lot as a country to fund our deficits uh, and so on, but the government has been able in recent times to reduce the amount of debt on sale um, and the weekly bond auctions have been consistently oversubscribed and so the government plan, the borrowing plan is well is well ahead of budget and so the fact that there's going to be you know, reasonably strong cash balance from this overfunding does give uh, the government uh, flexibility to, 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 to be more aggressive, for example, on, on, on procuring mm-hmm. vaccines. And lastly, um, or yeah. sixthly, foreign investment into South Africa has, has turned around. In 2020, foreigners really systematically di- disinvested from South Africa um, and, and foreign ownership of, of government bonds, which is critical, fell from a peak of over 42% foreign ownership in 2018 uh, to just under 30% uh, in October last year. But this trend is reversed and we've now seen foreigners obviously looking for yield and so on, but buying bonds uh, late, late last year and, and early this year. And, and these flows, which are not, these are not fixed investment flows, but they are critical flows to finance um, the country. So this gives us some space uh, to implement uh, what you know, the government is, is saying in terms of the economic reconstruction recovery plan, the reforms, the structural reforms. It's, we've, been, we've been dealt a little bit of time to get our act together yeah which is which is great and leads back to promoting investment and you you didn't mention the lions tour which is probably number seven assuming it happens but let's keep our fingers crossed on that one um i think my last question to you really is looking is is really to look at i mean you've got extensive experience personal experience of growing a business in south africa but also into africa generally and becoming a global player so what tips would you give South Africans and South African companies look, looking to replicate success in Africa at the moment, across, across the whole of Africa? What, what, what tips would you give when looking beyond the South African borders? And it's certainly worth thinking about because there are many, many examples of South African companies who have tried and failed uh, in their sort of yes. quest to, to, to move around the, around the continent. Uh, I think the first fundamental question is, you know, what what competitive advantage do you have? Merely going to plant a flagpole in another country isn't a good reason. You've got to be able to figure out how you're going to add value in in, in the country that you're going to be investing in. Um, and I think quite often that hasn't been the case, that people haven't figured out how they're going to compete and what the advantage is. I also think that when you're talking about investing across Africa, which it would probably be the same if you were thinking of investing across Latin America, uh, where you're talking about lots of economies, smaller economies, different types of economies, you really need a portfolio. You know, just investing in one or two countries puts you at very high risk because you know things might go pear-shaped in a particular uh, economy. So in our case, with a portfolio of around about 20 countries, you've always got two or three that are experiencing some kind of difficulty, but but the portfolio effect uh, helps you. So I think, I think that's important. How to be relevant in the country in which you operate. Particularly in operating in, in developing countries, you, you, know, you have to be seen to be a contributor rather than a 
you know, some a, a business trying to extract profit profits from the country. Um, so you have to be seen to be relevant in helping the country build. And I think it's in that sort of context critical if you can to have a local CEO rather than a CEO parachuted in from from home base. Which also links into the fact that you need a diverse a group of people thinking that you know you can staff your African operations with a bunch of South Africans uh, or South African leaders is, is, is just a poor strategy. So that's uh, very important. And and finally, I think it is making sure that you don't bet the farm or bet the company. You know, your, your expansion must be aggressive, but if things go wrong, which they can go wrong, things can go wrong, you don't want to be betting betting the farm, as it were. So those would be some, some thoughts I have to anyone thinking of uh, a proper expansion yeah I, I think that's and i think that's uh, that's really helpful because you've done it and i think all those points resonate very much with me about you know diversity partnership um spreading the risk being and being relevant and you know being mutual about it i think is uh is really important so jack emery thank you for your time on this podcast it's been great i look forward to everybody listening to it thank you jack thank you thank you for having me